0: Amen. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning, man. I hope you're all doing well. As we've mentioned over the past few Sundays, we are currently setting aside a few weeks so we can communicate our vision and our forward movement as a church. And uh, we want to continue in that direction again today. So let's maybe take a moment here and let's pray and then we will begin. So, Father, we thank you just for who you are today. And, Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would fill this room today. And, God, that you would uh, just come with your anointing, God, and that you would allow uh, just just your message and your heart to be communicated clearly. Father, and even as we're sitting here today, we just open up our hearts wide. And, Father, we thank you, God, for speaking to us clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we said that in the Bible, God has made four significant promises to all of his people. The first one is this, is that God promises to rescue us from the bondage of sin. If I could add a word to that promise, it would be this, that God promises us salvation Now, in this promise, it's important that we understand that when God shows up, he isn't trying to fix us. He isn't trying to get us to become religious or go to church. He isn't trying to get us to be nice to people. He is simply trying to get us spiritually relocated, that he is trying to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light. Now, the second promise is this, is that God promises to deliver us from whatever holds us back from being everything he has intended us to be. So in this promise, if I could give one word to this one, it would be the word freedom. Now in this promise, this is where God is coming in and he's saying, look, I, I, I got to clean you up. I need to, I need to heal you, man. I want to break the power of addiction off your life. This is where I want to get into how you think and how you act and how you believe that this is really where he begins to transform us into the image of Jesus, now, the third promise that God has made to us is this, is that he promises to help us discover his original intention for our lives. The, the word here is restoration, that God has promised to help us discover everything that we've been created to do. In other words, it's, it's maybe this, to help us understand that God has promised to help us discover our purpose in life. The fourth promise that he's made to us is this, is he promises to make us part of a family that is making a difference in the world. If I could give that word there, it would be simply this. It would be fulfillment. Now, what God is after at this moment is he is trying to help us to be a part of a team, part of a family, a part of a church that's making a difference for eternity. Now, come on, if you can today, I just want you to reach out and grab a hold of this, that God is promising you salvation Freedom, restoration, and fulfillment. Now, this is important is because so many people in the church just act like God has promised them just salvation. Almost like that's the start and the finish of everything that, that there is in the, in the walk with God and our journey with God. But God doesn't stop there. He actually says, not only am I going to give you salvation, I want to give you freedom. Man, I want to help you discover your purpose your, or your redemptive calling. And then he says, man, I want to help you make a difference. I want, I want to help you live a life of fulfillment. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're, and you're just sitting back thinking, man, man, I, those four promises, man, they're awesome. You know, without hesitation, you believe them. Without hesitation, you're like, man, let's go get it. But, but you know, at the same time, I realize that there's probably people here today that, uh, when you hear the word promises, man, the first thing that comes to your mind is, yeah, right. You know, promises don't mean that much to you. You know, in fact, if you could say something to me, you say, Pastor, do you know how many people have promised me something over the years only to turn their back on what they said? And, and you know, the, the underlying thing there is so many people think, man, why would God be any different? And, you know, I want you to know today, I, I really understand. But listen, before you check out, I, I just ask you to consider two verses today. And uh, here, here's why God's promises are different than people's. Listen to this verse. In Numbers 23, 19, God says this. He says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. It says, he is not a man, so he does not change his mind. If I could hit the pause button there for a minute and just insert this one thought. Listen, because he's not a man... We shouldn't compare him to one. Now, let's continue in the verse. simply says, it says, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, I want you to know today, and I just really want you to be encouraged about this, that when God makes a promise, he always, always, always fulfills it. Now, of course, as most of us know in this room, it might not always be fulfilled in the way we want or the way we expect or maybe even maybe even on the timetable that we had choose. But God always comes through when he gives us his word, he keeps it. Amen. Now, check out this verse. Here's why he keeps his word, why he keeps his promises. It says this in Psalms 138 2. the psalmist wrote this, it said, I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Watch this. He says, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Man, catch that, gang. Here's what God is saying. He's saying that when he promises us something, he is putting his reputation on the line. So with those two verses in mind, if we think God is really telling us the truth, man, if we really think that God is is promising these things, I want you to, to maybe ask you this question. If God rolled up at your house and walked in your front door and sat down at your kitchen table and one by one began to lay these four promises in front of you, if he began to lay out salvation, freedom, restoration, and fulfillment. Now remember what promise means. Promise means this, and offered with guaranteed results basically in accordance to your future. So with all that in mind, salvation's on the table, freedom's on the table, restoration's on the table, fulfillment's on the table. I want to know today, would you blow him off or would you take him up on his offer? I think we'd be crazy not to take him up on his offer. Amen. Now, what's so great about this is, is by taking God up on his offer, man, get this, that we receive the opportunity to trade in a life of struggle, a life of emptiness, a life of discontentment, a life of disappointment and mediocrity for a life of fulfillment. Come on, now grab a hold of this today. Here's the point. Here's why I'm saying all of that today. Because we as a church, as a leadership team, that we wholeheartedly believe that God is not only telling the truth, but that he is fully committed to seeing people get saved, that he is fully committed to seeing people set free from their issues, that he is fully committed to seeing people discover the reason for living, that he is fully committed to seeing people connect with others to make a difference. And listen, it's because we believe all of those things. Listen, we as a church have decided to build our vision or our body life around those four promises. Isn't that good news? Because listen, we simply believe this, that, that if it's rooted in God's word, that God will bless it. Amen. If we we align with Him, if we get in agreement with Him, and we begin to move forward with Him, that man, His touch, His anointing, His power is going to move in every one of those areas. Now, obviously, we're not going to get up, and we're not going to say restoration and fulfillment. We may not use those words, but if you were here last week, I want you to grab a hold of the language that we are going to use. So you'll see this, Dad, and you can look up on the screen. It simply says this, that we, talking about the Anchor Church, that we are fully committed to helping people know God find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's what we're committed to, gang. Isn't that awesome? Listen, for the next few minutes, I want us to turn our attention to the first of those four promises. Remember, the word is salvation, but how we're putting our language to it, it is, it is this. We're going to talk about knowing God or know God. Then I want to close today by simply talking about why it's so important for us to focus on this promise as a church. I don't want us to miss this. So let's begin today by looking back at the first promise that was found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, and I'm reading from the NIV. Check out what God said. He said, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Hear that again, that I will bring you out from under the yoke or the burden or the weariness of the Egyptians. Now, if you're here today and you're familiar with biblical language, then you know the word Egypt really represents sin, it represents bondage, it represents the world system that we all lived in before we became Christians. That's the whole process when God says, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. The whole process there is he's talking about salvation. Once again, that's the the spiritual relocation. But what I want us to see today is this, is that Before salvation, from a spiritual perspective, that yoke that we were under wasn't that different from the one the Hebrews experienced while they were still in Egypt. In other words, check this out, that the same demonic spirit that was motivating Pharaoh and the actions that he took towards the Hebrew children, all the things that he put them through, the same spirit that was behind that is the same spirit that's, that's still alive today and still moving and still motivating and still tormenting people today. Amen? So, so in other words, it's kind of this, that we know biblically... Angels and demons, man, they, they, you know they don't live for seventy, eighty years. That these guys were created and they don't die. So, so once again, it's the same devil, it's the same spirit. So, let me share with you three quick comparisons so you can see what I mean by how how basically the same yoke that was on the was on the Hebrews is is basically the same or similar yoke that's upon people today. So, the first one is this: is that is that Pharaoh forced. The Hebrews, and he forced them to be slaves. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the the story of basically the Hebrews in Egypt, let me kind of rewind, and tell you how they got there. We know the Bible says that Joseph was born and that Joseph ended up being sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ended up in Potiphar's house. And we know that Potiphar's wife basically uh, had an accusation against him, and, and, that, and that accusation landed Joseph in prison and while joseph was in prison there was two guys that were there and obviously they had dreams and joseph interpreted their dreams and the interpretation of those dreams was accurate, and one of those guys died, but one of those guys was restored back to his position, working under the Pharaoh. And then, uh, basically, there came a day where Pharaoh had an, a dream, and he didn't have anybody around him that could give him a, an accurate interpretation. And at that time, the guy that Joseph interpreted his dream for him remembered Joseph and told Pharaoh about him. And so, the Pharaoh brought Joseph to him, and Joseph interpreted his dream, and, you know, obviously. The, the dream was about the famine. And so through that process, Joseph basically gave Pharaoh a plan that pretty much saved uh, the whole nation of Egypt. And not only that nation, but pretty much the, the known world that was around them at the time. And anyway, so the interpretation of that dream brought Joseph to the forefront He became basically the the second man under Pharaoh over the entire nation. And during that famine, that's when his brothers and his dad ended up moving to Egypt. And, And basically from them, the 12 tribes of Israel, that number grew to literally millions of people. And then what happened is because Pharaoh was so in fear of the Hebrews actually taking over Egypt, he decided basically to put them into slavery. So there's a quick version But when we look at what the word slave means, get this, so we can make the comparison. Slave means any time a person is submitted to a dominating influence. Any time a person is submitted to a dominating influence. So what do we mean here? That before salvation... We were slaves to bad habits, we were slaves to addictions, we were slaves to anger, we were slaves to bitterness, we were slaves to selfishness, we were slaves to money, we were slaves to whatever it is, fill in your blank. But the truth is, is that if I could bring it in here, that we were all slaves to our flesh, or we were slaves to our emotions, that our flesh and our emotions... Were the dominating influence in our lives. So, once again, listen, when it comes to to being a slave, these are things that we were naturally drawn to. These are things that, uh, you know, took the control of our lives. It told us how to live our lives. We were powerless in overcoming them. Uh, In fact, you know, to whatever this thing that we were enslaved to, man, it made us feel stuck. It made us feel trapped. But the one word I want you to get, and I just said it, that we were enslaved. We were enslaved there. So listen, in fact, to how Jesus put it in John eight thirty four 34 through 35. says this, says, Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a what? A slave. And it says this, that a slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. Man, that's what the yoke of bondage does to us doesn't it? That it it literally makes us where that thing, that sin is just running our lives. It's almost like we can't come and go as we will because it is in control. If that thing says go right, we go right. If it says go left, we go left. If it says stop, we stop. It says go backwards, go forward. We are being controlled by that sin. So the second thing that Pharaoh did to the Hebrew children is he did this, is that he murdered their babies, that he murdered their babies, now, you might remember us talking about this last week briefly, but we talked about how basically when the the number of Hebrews grew to such a, a great amount that, once again, Pharaoh had, he had fear in his heart, and what he decided to do was to keep them from overtaking their nation, that Pharaoh ordered for all the newborn baby boys to be thrown into the Nile River. That's crazy, isn't it? Listen, but, but why why would Pharaoh—why would he do this? What was he trying to accomplish by doing this? Here's the simple thing I want to understand, that he was trying to kill or destroy their potential. See, that's the point, gang, is that exact, that's exactly what the yoke of bondage does to us, doesn't it? That it keeps us from rising up and discovering our God-given potential. And that's why so many people who are still stuck under that yoke of bondage, who are still enslaved to that sin, that's why so many of them feel so empty, because they can't connect with their potential. Listen, because they are disconnected from their potential, they continually say to themselves, man, I don't know what my life's all about. You know, my life has no meaning. I I feel like I'm just going through the motions, or I I feel like I'm, I'm dying inside. In fact, if I could maybe put a word picture to it, I would simply say it this way, that a person this spot, that their lives resemble a ship without a rudder, that their lives resemble a ship without a rudder, that literally that they, they are moving, and from on the outside, it looks like they are living. But on the inside, they're without a God direction, gain. You know, they're just wandering aimlessly through life. So it doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter how many material things they have. It doesn't matter how much success they gain or how many relationships they have. These guys will, will literally, they will never be fulfilled. Why? Because they need, they need Jesus. They simply need Jesus. So now let me give you the third comparison between Pharaoh and really us. Here we go of what he did to the the Hebrew children. Here we go. Number three is that he required them to collect their own straw. He required them to collect their own straw. I know that sounds really weird, but uh, you might remember reading this somewhere along the line. But every day when the Hebrews would go to work, they were forced to make bricks. And one of the ingredients that they used to make those bricks was from straw. Now, for a period of time, the Egyptians provided the straw for them. But that was until the Pharaoh that he, man, once again, you know, an evil spirit motivating him. That was until Pharaoh decided to make things harder than they already were. So he added the task of finding and gathering their own straw on top of everything else they were already doing. Now, why would Pharaoh decide to do this? It's really simple. Don't miss this. Because he was trying to add to their burden. He was trying to add to the weight of. They were already caring. He was trying to wear them out. Literally, here's the word that I want you to get. that He was trying to exhaust them. Now, if you remember, before salvation, is that not what the devil tries to do to our lives? Man, we feel like we're being run ragged, We're so busy, we can hardly think, man, we're so weighed down by the cares of this world, we are exhausted. In fact, over the years, I'd probably say that the number one thing that I've heard people say when they actually have a salvation experience, when they get born again, is they say this, that I feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. Now, going back to this, why does the enemy try so hard to do this in our lives? Simply because of this. Because he knows when we are tired, we make bad decisions. Listen, it's because he's trying to keep us from experiencing the only true rest, the only true peace that can only come through salvation. If, if you think about it, you know, if, if for a minute, if your world would stop and you could somehow get rest and you could somehow get clarity of mind and begin to think straight, then the enemy is so afraid in that moment that you would realize uh, how distant you are from God and how much you need God, how empty you are, and, uh, you know, how enslaved you are, and then you would reach out to God. So he tries to keep you busy so none of that ever happens, so he can keep you in bondage. Now, why am I telling you these three things today? Number one, I'm telling you this because I'm hoping, I'm hoping that every person in this room will remember what our lives were like before Jesus fulfilled that first promise in our lives. Man, my hope is today is that every person in this room would remember how hopeless we were before Jesus came and, and, and saved us, before, before we experienced salvation And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but, man, I remember where I was at before I met Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I didn't have a lot of hope. But, you know, kind of the reason I'm saying this is, you know, maybe if I can give you an example today is... You know, you hear so often if it's in the, the music industry or maybe it's in the sports world or, or somebody that's acting, you, you hear them say when they, when they kind of rise to a level of fame that they say this, man, I don't ever want to forget where I came from. You, you know, they want to remember their roots, you know, and I think that's what is happening so often or what happens so often in church is that people forget where they came from. They forget how they used to be when they didn't have any hope. They, they forget the feelings that they used to have when they were lost, And uh, somehow when Jesus saves us and everything's good and and we're experiencing peace, we're experiencing rest, we're experiencing the presence, we're experiencing walking with God, we somehow forget where we came from. But today, man, hearing all of that, of what those people went through when they were in Egypt, I want you to just simply remember. Now, obviously, there's that part that I want you to be grateful for what God's done for you. But but once again, I want you just to to remember the awareness or have an awareness of what it means to be lost once again. The second reason I'm saying all of this is because this is So we would think about what 96% of our state feels like at this moment. Come on, grab a hold of that, gang. That 96% of our state at this moment feels enslaved, they feel empty, and they feel exhausted. That 96% of our state needs the hope that we have, which is Jesus Christ. The third reason I'm saying this today is this, is, is just someone by chance, if somebody's here just sitting here today thinking, you know what, Pastor, everything you're saying is really resonating with me. Man, I feel enslaved. I feel empty. I feel exhausted. And I just want you to know today that, man, my hope is, is that if that's you, that you would receive his love, you'd receive his love, that you'd receive the, you know, the first promise, the promise that he is he's offering you to do, that first promise that he has laid out on the table for you today. Come on, think about this verse here with me for a second. Look at this. It says this in Titus 3, 3 through 8. It says, It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands. I think that's so funny that we were ordered every way by our glands. But it simply means this. It means that your body's been calling the shots. That, that basically that you've been, you've been slaves to some sexual addiction. And then it goes on and says this. It says that, not only were you ordered by your glands, but also says that people went around with a chip on their shoulder. In other words, they're bitter, they're angry, that they were hated and hating back. And if I could just maybe stop there today, if that still describes you, that first little part, that's what you know today, man, you, you need salvation. You, you need what God has has promised you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Now watch where it goes. Watch what it says. It says, but when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. Man, in not that good news? That it was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. That he gave us a good bath and we came out of it. What's it? Once again, that's that yoke of bondage. That we came out of it new people washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. It says our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. It said God's gift has restored our, don't miss this word, our relationship with him and gives us back our lives. Guys, that's really what salvation is all about. If I could, if I could just sum it up there with maybe one word, it's sad that God is trying to offer you a relationship with him. So if you're sitting here today and you just say, man, uh, pastor, I feel like God is a million miles away that he is so far away. I want you to know today that in an instant that can change today simply by accepting that promise. In fact, the Bible says this and I believe it's in the book of Isaiah that it says that his nearness to us is our good. His nearness to us is our good. So listen, if this is describing you today, then I want to encourage you to do a few things. I, I know it says there that it had nothing to do with us, but we we have a part to play in this. L- listen, this is what we need to do today. That, that here's God, the, the, you know, a God that loves us with everything that's in him. And, and he's uh, saying, man, would you, would you come home? Would you be my son? Would you be my daughter? But the truth is, is God can want that for you. And, and he can want to move heaven and earth for you to do that. But guess what? You, you got to make a move with him. And by making a move, what I mean is this, is that you need to repent of your sins. That, that's simply the word repent, simply means to have a change of mind, to, to literally that you're going in one direction. You say, man, that direction is taking me far from God and I want to go towards God. So I have a change of direction in my life. That's the first thing that you need to do today. The second thing is this, is that anytime I've seen people come to that decision where, where they're wanting to make a turnaround, wanting to go towards God, that they, they typically have something they need to let go of. So, I, you know, today I just encourage you to let go of whatever you're holding on to. That, that thing that's caused you to be enslaved Man, let go of that. And, you know, maybe the word I could use here is simply this, is that you would surrender, that you would surrender. And lastly, the thing I would encourage you to do is this, is not only just make that move towards God and let go of whatever you're holding on to, but, man, that you would make a commitment, that you would make a decision today to give Jesus all of your heart, every bit of it, that you decide that you're going to love him more than anything else in this world. In fact, if I kind of give you a word picture, when I when I decided to marry my wife, let's say let's say that I had a, a black book that had 40 women's names in it. You know, 40 women that I have a relationship with, go on dates with and all that. But the, the day that I came to that altar... And I decided to marry my wife that I said yes to her. And I was saying no to every woman that was in those black books. I was making a commitment completely to her. That's what it means to give God your heart. That you're saying no to everybody else, but you're saying yes to him. But I would encourage you to do that today if you've never done that. All right, I want to close today by man, just talking to you like your leaders. You know, we, we started there first. Man, we, we talked about the first promise. Now I want to talk to you about why it's so important that as a church that we put uh, you know, such an emphasis on this first promise. So let, let me give you a few reasons here. The first reason that we need to put an emphasis on is this, is because reaching the lost is still a biblical mandate now, understand that. Listen, the Great Commission hasn't changed. Man, Jesus gave it to us over 2,000 years ago. And the moment that you become a believer, it doesn't matter if you've been saved a week or if you've been saved for, you know, uh, 100 years. Listen, you are responsible. You are personally responsible to help fulfill the Great Commission. And what's the Great Commission? It's to go into all the world, man. It's to preach the gospel. So, so as believers here... Listen, we, we need to not only feel a burden to pray for the lost, but we should also feel a burden to reach the lost. Amen? Now, the second reason that uh, we're putting such an emphasis on this is this. Is Number two is because heaven and hell are a reality, gang. Heaven and hell are still a reality. And so, listen, we we live in a community, you know, with X amount of people, and the truth is that one day these people are going to die, and they're either going to go to two places. They're going to go to heaven, or they're going to go to hell. And I'm telling you, gang, it is our mission as a church to help as many people as possible to make sure they're going to the right place and not the wrong place, amen? Third reason that I'm sharing this with you is this, is because inviting unchurched lost people to a service, to a church service, a life-giving service is still an effective method. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that it's simply this. We want to partner with you guys. Every person in this room has a relationship with people that know God, and, and, and you know, everybody has a relationship with people here that don't know God. And we want to just come and partner alongside of you that, man, if you have a, a friend that you say, man, you know, come to, come to my church with me. I want you to check it out. Man, we believe that when they come here that the presence of God and the love of God can be so strong and so evident, so powerful that their eyes would be open, that their hearts would be broken, and they would say, man, I've got to have Jesus. We believe that that this place is still a place of life change where people can encounter him. So li- listen, I don't want you to miss what I'm about to say. Please, if you haven't heard anything, don't miss this. I personally don't think that God ever designed a church, this church, our church, to be a Bless Me Club for Christians. I don't believe that that we need to come to church and just have a mindset that, man, this place is just all about us. It's about the insiders. It's a club. It's us four and no more. That you know we got to dress alike, talk alike, look alike. You know I don't believe that was God's design. If I can give you a verse here, look at Philippians two four it says, "Let each of you look not only for his own interest, that you don't look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others." So what am I trying to say to you guys is that sometimes our attention and our interest can't just be about those that are on the inside. Sometimes we got to think about those that are on the outside as well. In fact, I, I recently heard a pastor share a story that i'm telling you when i heard him share this story man it broke my heart i I just sat there and i my you know my eyes got all watery and 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 it began to change my perspective of of kind of really how we do church and why we do church and and uh anyways i just want to share with you today hopefully it it blesses you touches your heart like it did for me so listen what this pastor said he said several years ago while our family was on vacation the youngest of our five children just disappeared Says he was only 11 years old at the time, and he is on the autism spectrum and has difficulty communicating with other people. He said this, said that we were, uh, with several families, we were going from store to store shopping and eating when our son decided to find a bathroom without telling us. Man, man, if you are a parent in here, you know exactly what these people were feeling at at that moment. But he said this, he says that when his son came out of the bathroom, they had already decided to go further down the street. That literally when they came out of the, the store, they went one way, and when his son came out of the store, he decided to go another way to find his family Uh, But the pastor said this, says it wasn't long before we realized that, that our son was missing and we were in a panic. Frantically, the whole family dispersed in different directions looking for him. It says for 35 minutes, which he said, which seemed like an eternity, he was gone. And then it says this, says when I approached the security guard, he seemed disinterested and certainly didn't have the same sense of urgency I had to find my son. With his hands in his pockets, the security guard said, well, have you looked at the last place you saw him? The pastor said this, his response irritated me, and I said, you're the one with the radio. Help me find him. He said he was so frustrated by, by the uh, security guard's passivity and his inactivity. And then he said this, and man, when he said this, it, I'm telling you it reach out and it touched my heart. He said this, that sometimes I imagine that God feels very much the same way, that he just wants us to help him find his lost kids. Then he went on and said this, says, there was never a moment in the search when I thought, I have four other kids. You know, 80% isn't bad. No, in fact, I, I never even thought about my other kids at that moment. He said, I just wanted to find my son. My other kids were all helping in the search, but watch this gang. He said, but had any of them come to me during that time and said, Dad, how about an ice cream? He said, I would have thought, you really don't get it, do you? And, you know, listen, when he said that, I, I, just, I just couldn't help to think, man, how many of God's kids do God look at, and he just says, man, you really don't get it, do you? The pastor will say this. said, again, I imagine God feels the same way when we ask him for things for ourselves when he's so concerned about his lost kids. He said, yes, he enjoys answering our, our prayers and giving us good things. Because obviously, gang, there's a balance to all this. But he said this, but nothing means more to him than finding the, his kids who are still lost. Then he said this, he says, when we found my son, we felt so grateful and relieved. But that's still only a fraction of what God must feel when a lost son or a lost daughter comes home to him. He said, Jesus made a promise that if we, if we, gang, if we would focus on reaching the lost, that he would be with us even to the end of the age. And then he closed by saying this, I'm telling you this to remind you that the church doesn't exist only for those already here, but for those who are not here yet, that the church doesn't exist only for those already here, but for those who are not here yet. And then he said this, listen, if we want to have a ministry like Jesus, then we need sinners around us. That's so true says, as holy as Jesus was, he attracted people from every walk of life. The sinners and the outcasts of his days, prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, lepers, they all enjoyed being in his presence. says, they never felt inferior or looked down upon or condemned by Jesus. He says this, so we can't let our church become an environment where the lost don't come or want to visit. Man, isn't that so good? If I can just ask you a question. So why do we... Why do we need to think about those on the outside today? Why do we need to make this promise such a priority? And, and the truth is because, because God is so focused on those on the outside. After all, does the Bible not say that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost? He literally came to, to get those who were on the outside to try, to try to bring them on the inside, those who were outside of his family, so he could bring them inside of his family. If you can, th- think about Luke 15 for a moment. You know, maybe you're familiar with that this chapter, maybe you're not. But in this chapter, Jesus tells three parables. He tells a parable about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And the simple message, when you just kind of pull away all the complexity of it, is simply this, that God is saying that finding his children, his lost children, that that's his priority. In fact, truth be known, Jesus was saying that the Father is more focused on the lost than he is the found. Isn't that why he sent his only son to die for us after all? So, in, in fact, if we just can, just take a minute, let me just kind of read maybe a portion of the Scripture. So, if you have your Bible, I mean, go and flip on over to Luke chapter 15. It's not going to be on the screens. Listen what this says. It says in, in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear Him. Come on, get that, that all the lost sheep the lost coin, the lost sons, the lost kids, man, those who, once again, that are enslaved, those who are empty, those who are exhausted, man, that they drew near to hear Him. Man, wouldn't that be great if if in our community, man, that people would come here to draw near just to hear Him? Because, man, it's my heart that people come here, and they don't hear me, they don't hear Quentin self, but that they would hear Jesus talk. Amen? Then it goes on, it says this, it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. That's what we don't want to do, church, saying this, this man receives sinners and eats with them. We don't want to be a church that wants to keep the outsiders on the outside. We want the outsiders to come on the inside, amen? So then he says this, we'll just kind of read here. It says, so he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost till he finds it. You see his priority here? And then he says this, verse 5, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost." then it says in verse 7, it says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Watch here. The transitions over to the parable of the lost coin. And it says, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Notice she didn't say, well, I lost one, but that's okay. I still got nine more. No, it says that she lit a lamp and began to search carefully. And it says in verse 9, it says, And when she had found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. And it says, Likewise, once again, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And once again, then he transitions over to the parable of the lost son. And he said this, he says, A certain man had two sons. It says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. Just kind of speed up here. You know, that son, basically, it says that he took the inheritance that the father gave him. So he went and he did basically have a wasteful, lived a wasteful lifestyle. But notice what it says down in, in verse 17. It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare And yet I perish with hunger. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Please don't miss this today. You know, we live in a culture today that says basically you can do whatever you want and it's okay. God still loves you, blah, blah, blah. But but I want you to notice here that for the, the prodigal son to be able to come home, he had to repent first. Once again, what did we say earlier? Man, that we got to move with God. So you see right there that he had, to, he had to repent, he had to let go, and he had to make a commitment. But, but notice what it says here, and I want you to see this in perspective with people coming to our church. It says this, it says that, he said, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It says, he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off. I love that, gang. He was still a great way off. Meaning this, guys, we're going to have people come to our church that are going to be from, uh, you know, all kinds of different backgrounds. And I want you to know that when it comes to Christianity, there's still going to be a great way off. There's still going to be, like like I'll just say it like this. I have here in my notes that that lost sheep, man, he had been wandering where he had no business wandering. There are going to be people that that have been wallowing in stuff. They got no business wallowing in. I also hear that that lost coin had been laying over the corner in a pile of dirt. Again, there's going to be people that are a great way off that, man, they've been laying in a pile of dirt. They're going to be dirty with just the filth of the World all over him, and then, then this last thing, man. Just to think about here's the prodigal son. Man, this guy came home filthy and broken. He was a far, far way off. But, but notice what the father did. It says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And we know what happens; that he restored him. But I want you to think about something. That here's the father. Runs to him, falls on him, loves him, you know, basically restores him back to the position. Once again, such a beautiful image of, of salvation and, and freedom. But yet, the older brother in the story, if you re- read it, man, that's so often that looks like people in church. Man, people come in and, and once again, they, they smell like the world, they look like the world. What do we do? We get mad. And I'm telling you today, today, guys, man, we need to have the heart of the Father. We need to quit getting mad at those people. We need to be thankful that they're here because, man, God has a plan and uh, for their life. He has a promise. Once again, he's got promises laid out on the table for them, just like he laid out for us, and he's offering them the same things, and we should be praying for them and just be glad when they come and believe God's going to touch them. Amen? Amen. So let me maybe close by this. You know, some questions that I tend to ask myself Concerning our church is this, as I ask, you know, are we attracting the loss? Are we attracting the lost? Are they coming, man? Or are, are are when they come, are we pushing them away? You know, are they, are they coming here and are they experiencing salvation? Are people getting saved? Are they are they taking that first offer on the table? And, uh, you know, I want you to know if that's not happening, you know, I'm going to ask, you know, God, what do we need to change? You know, what, what, what do we need to change in how we do service and how we preach the gospel and uh, how we present the gospel? And, and the other question I ask is this, and I just want you to think about this with me, is If 50 people got saved, if 50 people came and got born again, man, what in the world are we going to do with them? You you know, listen, as as the pastor of this church, my hope is that we would grow, but I don't want us to grow by... You know, sheep from other churches coming here. Uh, You know, we live in, once again, a a community in a state where 96% of the people do not know Jesus. Man, this church, uh, there's plenty of room for this church to be filled with new believers. And so my question for us today is, man, what are we going to do with them when they come? And and so what I mean, let me give it to a practical level. Are there any men of God in this place that is willing to say, man, I'm I'm willing to take that young man or that older man, whatever, that just got saved. Am I willing to throw my arm around him and say, man, I'm going to teach you and show you how to walk with Jesus. Is there, any, is there any women of God in this place that says, man, when, it, when a young lady or an older woman comes to Jesus and comes to this place, will you throw your arm around and say, man, I'm going to teach you how to walk with Jesus? You, you know, I just have this thought that I think about often that, that if I took a, a young believer and I said, hey, I want you to follow me for the next month in my life. I just want you to, when I pray, I want you to pray. When you read, when I read, I want you to read. When I speak, I want you to speak. And and, and the challenge for me in this is this, is that after a month, will they know God more than they currently do at this moment if they follow me around for a month? I want to just think about that stuff. You know, what are we going to do when, you know, we're casting that net and we begin to catch fish? What are we going to do with them, gang? Because I want you to know it's our responsibility, not in other churches. This is the church God's put us in, and it's our responsibility to, to raise people up to be men and women of God. Amen? So today, if you can just stand to your feet. Man, let's just pray and, uh, and we'll get out of here today. Amen. I just want, I just want God to touch our heart. And, uh, I guess the number one thing is just, God, give us a burden. Amen. Just give us a burden. So let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Father, we, man, just, just the heart that we see there of the Father in, in Luke chapter 15, a, a heart that just longs for a son. God, that you would give us that kind of heart, that you would begin to deposit your heart into us, and that we would begin to uh, love your lost kids like you love your lost kids. God, that we begin to have a burden to, to go to the highways and the byways, to reach people, and uh, God, just to search them out, just like that woman, search for the coin, just like that shepherd, search for that lost sheep. God, give us a heart just to go reach the lost. And so, Father, the things that break your heart today. God, we're just asking that they would break our heart today. The things that that uh, sits heavy on you, that's a burden on you. God, we pray, God, today that we would help you carry that, God, and that you would begin to just literally all around this region, God, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. God, that you would bring lost people to this church in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that when they would come here, that their eyes would be open, their ears would be open, their hearts would be open, God, and that they would see the real living God. And Father, that they would meet you, that they would encounter you. God, even as we said earlier. God, that they'd be willing to move with you. God, that they would take you up on your offer. God, that they'd be willing to let go of all the stuff that's had them bound. And Father, we pray, God, that they would make a commitment to you. And so, Father, thank you once again for giving us a heart for your kids. And God, help us to do everything we can do in this region to reach them. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.